Welcome to the Monkey Business Show. From cash flow to crypto, all the things you need to know to invest in the market. I'm Aaron Hodges. We're at full strength this week, ladies and gentlemen. We've been pinch hitting back and forth. Richie, Eric, Eric, Richie, Richie, Eric. Now we got both the Monkey Business Boys in the house. Eric Salzman and Richie Bennett. How we doing, boys? What's up, Richie? Good to see you. Good to see you, bro. Good to be seen. How's everything going? Any uh, any new tips on horse racing? Any new trailer park investments? What's um, happening? No, no, not there. We we do have a high school graduate in the house. That, that was a good event on Monday. Very nice. We were very excited. Now we move to the next chapter. Yes, indeed. Uh, Tuition-free college for Miss Sydney Bennett. Well done, well done. And Eric Salzman, are we settling in to uh, the yes, Maryland we, house? Yeah. Yep, we're, uh, we're, we're I'm fully settled in down in my bunker here, um, and uh, yeah, no, it's good. We're we're back back on the East Coast. Uh, ha- happy to be here. Happy to be back. Yeah, how long was the Texas experiment? Five years. Wow. wow. Five years. It's crazy, right? Time just goes by so fast. But yeah, we're back here. That's good. Got all my all my buddies back here and stuff. So it's uh it's all good. And uh, just to put together any put to rest any rumors that Richie and I had a breakup because we weren't appearing on the same show. <laughs> we still love each other. Yeah, there was no contract disputes or any of that. We'll put that to rest. Right. Yeah, the, the rumors were circulating quite a bit. Uh, yeah. The monkeys were. My all- phone, my phone was lighting up. Like I didn't know what what was going on. I, <laughs> I, I don't think I don't think people believed me, but I said there was nothing wrong. It's just circumstances. But now we're back. We're back, baby, <laughs> and we're hot on the case, uh, Inspector Salzman is on the case of Citadel Securities. They're settling with a fund over a secret algorithm. That's the monkey business that's going on this week, Eric. Tell us a little bit about this. Well, it's funny, and, and Richard remember too, that um, so you have all these secret algorithms that these guys do. And you know, we, we talked about it before with um, with high-frequency trading and payment for order flow and then kind of how some high-frequency trading operations supposedly or allegedly like a citadel uses those these top secret algorithms and super fast computers to basically cheat to see what people are going to do before they do it they get in like they buy the stock before you buy it and then they flip it to you at a a penny or two pennies more you do that a few million times a day it's a a nice living so citadel and um, and a british hedge fund reached an agreement to uh this they, they settled out of court essentially because Citadel claimed that um, one of their former employees was going to this uh, British hedge fund and taking a a top secret, a top top secret algorithm uh, with him. And according to this, that this this algorithm is so secretive that I think there's about I think yeah, there's three thousand employees at Citadel, and apparently, including Ken Griffin, the head of the, the CEO of Citadel, only 15 people in the entire company knew about enough about this algorithm to even talk about it. Um, it's so top secret. So, you know, Richie, I don't know. I, I, I just don't, I can't see what, if it's a top secret algorithm, it could be one of two things. So very broad. It's either, well, it's something that just can look at a market and look at the markets and just find something that nobody else has seen in the last 200 years of investing. And somehow they've figured out some new 
secret sauce that totally legally without cheating is is outsmarting everybody, or it, they're using it to cheat and they figured out a way to whether it's trend tracing. Like, look, we've always talked about this. That why do people pay so much more money for Robinhood's trading flow than they do all the other guys? E Trade and uh, TD Ameritrade, all their at Schwab, all their flow. And we thought that A, it could be front-running the Robinhood guys, or more importantly, it could be doing trend tracing and figuring out what those people do before they do it and then trading ahead of them. So I have, I'm have i going to go with, with door number two, that it's a cheating uh, algorithm. Um, I don't know if you have anything to say on that, Richie, but uh, Richie, remember the... Um, you remember when uh, Goldman Sachs had that issue with the the dude the the dude stole the algorithm? Remember that? And they arrested yep. him at the airport on July fourth. Yep, and they and they sentenced him to jail. They called a judge out of like his barbecue, <laughs> came to the courthouse on a, on the fourth of July, and put this cat away. Right. Like that that was some serious stuff. Yeah, like it, they acted. The FBI acted faster on this than. September 11. Name any horrible incident that's happened domestically in this country since we can remember. And when Goldman Sachs thought an algorithm was being stolen from them again, what what is this algorithm? What is it? Right. (laughs) What are I mean, Uh, what are the parallels here? Do how much do we know about this top secret algorithm right now? Nothing. Nothing. It's still still a top secret to a handful of people. Is it? Yes. I mean, well, maybe it's a top secret to more than a handful of people now, but. Um, and what, the what was that, the deal? They 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 agreed to not fighting anymore because they hired the guy back or something like that. What what? I yeah, I, hold on. I, um, I I know that they've just settled. It. I mean, Citadel was only going after him for forty million, which in this in, in this game is, is, not, that is not a huge sum. Pocket change. It is a rounding error, but they settled out of court. I believe. I mean, look, I think they may have even done it based on the fact that this guy left and went to another firm. Maybe maybe he's violated some of his, you know, a lot of times when you when you sign up at a firm like that, you have to sign things that say you can't go. You know, if, if you're going to go somewhere, you yeah. have to be on the beach, meaning that's what we used to call it. Like you had to sit out for, for two months or three months. Or maybe this guy, maybe it's two years like that used to be the greatest gig back when we were doing it. And, and you had guarantees and stuff as you would. You'd be at one firm, and then you would. We let's say I decided to go to another firm. I had to mandatory take three months of vacation with the, with the firm that I was leaving would pay me, but I didn't have to do any work. I just couldn't go work at the other firm. So they call that going the gardening leave or being on the beach. And mm. it was it was something they created to um, to kind of stop other top other firms from poaching their talent. But when everybody gave the same thing, it just became an, a nice three month vacation to go along with a whatever nice raise and guarantee you were getting to go somewhere else. So, mm. so who knows? Yeah. I, I don't know. I, I think this individual is still is has gone to the London hedge fund, but they settled out of court. So God knows what the algorithm was. All right. So there's not much that we actually know about it, and now this case has actually been settled out of court. Right. It's just the I think what we need to know about it is that this algorithm exists and God knows what they're what they're doing with it. That's the that's the the key. And I think again, and actually, um, I, that's actually you know a good lead in is that um, you know this this week um, the new SEC chairman uh, Gary Gensler um, really is starting to speak out about 
these types of trading pack practices, payment for order flow, that he's going to start really taking a look at this. And it really hasn't been looked at at all for the last, certainly the last four years, probably even under Obama, they weren't really giving it any, any serious look at. And, uh, you know, after the whole GameStop thing and, you know, a lot of other stuff, uh, they're going to look at it. And actually guys like uh, one of the big high frequency trading firms besides um, Citadel is also a Virtu, V-I-R-T-U. Um, and they're actually a public company, but they're big time. Uh, they, they're a big time high frequency trading market maker. Um, and they buy a tremendous amount of, of payment for order flow from Robinhood, from TD Ameritrade, uh, Schwab, um, E-Trade. So um, they, they, they're starting to be a battle brewing. So these guys are kind of getting on their back, you know, getting up and, and, and basically nicely ripping into Gensler and ripping into the SEC for, you know, messing with their uh, messing in, in their sandbox. So I think this this algorithm probably fits in nicely with what's going on there. Does this speed up but, the process of uh, Robin Hood IPO, you think? I think, they're racing, right? I think they are racing right now. Like they are like, chasing their lawyers are being paid like triple overtime payments to get this thing through because they don't want any bad news. And it's it's interesting because like Gensler's the head of the SEC, right? So he could like block this IPO if he wanted to, right? I mean, they'd have to vote on it. I I guess there's a, it's a five, five person committee, I think on the SEC, but they could block that. How you know, often do they block IPOs? Not, not terribly often. It doesn't really. I mean, they delay them, mm-hmm. but they could delay this one. They could definitely delay it. That's got to be the biggest fear for the Robinhood cats right now because they're they're probably like, "Ooh, this guy's saying some not nice stuff about us." Who knows? Another thing that we wanted to touch on, treasury yield rates. Uh, Richie, I understand you're looking for a little bit of guidance from Inspector Salzman on what to do here. Yeah. Are you- the, uh, we have a resident expertise in, in many fields. Um, Eric is our treasury guy, treasury bond yield guy. So I actually flipped from playing the TBF ETF, so t- Tom Boy Frank, which is betting on Treasury yields going higher, bond prices going down. They move inverse. Two, and I was fortunate, I timed it pretty well, and I went into the TLT, Tom Lewis Tom, which is the ETF betting on yields to go down. And thus far this week, it's really worked. And I was a little nervous because I knew a lot of these inflation numbers were coming out. And they were very high, which when you hear high inflation, that generally means yields are going to go higher. So I, I, I was fearful that I was on the wrong side of this trade. But so far this week, I've been on the right side. So I was looking for advice at, from Eric to find out, should I stay in this position or should I uh, get out? Yeah, so very interesting. So yesterday, CPI came out yesterday, uh, and it was a very, very highly anticipated number. Um, And it came out, as far as inflation, higher than expected. So even and and there were some pretty big numbers that that Wall Street economists were looking for, and the numbers came out even higher, both month over month and and year over year numbers. So it was a big thing. And, And what happened was, the, the bond market, you know, you, so you would, you would think everything else equal, the bond market, treasuries would sell off, meaning that the prices would go down and the yields would go up. 
And they went down about a quarter of a point looking at like the 10 year treasury. And then that was it. And then boom, a lot of buying came in. And you also had this week, you had the three year treasury auctioned on Tuesday. You had the 10 year treasury, a new, so like much more supplies, like another 25 billion of 10 years came out on Wednesday. And then yesterday was going to happen after the CPI, the 30 year bond was going to come out in, in decent size again. So you have all the supply in the market. And yet what you've seen the last two or three weeks is really rates are rates are falling, not not rising, even though people are not I don't hear this. The people that have been, you know, the market uh, participants that have been talking a lot about inflation, they haven't changed their tune at all. It's not like I think they necessarily agree with the Fed now. But what you really have to know with this stuff is that you there's something we call the flow of funds. And what that is, is that you've got very, very big institutional segments, not even players, but segments of the market that are going to buy based on things other than inflation, or that's not going to be their overriding principle. So one of the key segments that's been buying a lot of treasuries in the, in the recent, in the last few weeks have been pension funds. And the reason why pension funds are buying is because before COVID, Pension funds, a lot of them were underfunded. And to get themselves, bonds weren't making enough money anywhere near the amount of yields they needed to generate because a pension fund needs to generate future cash flows to meet those future obligations. So when bond yields are, are, are and they want to be at least, probably they want to be 60%, 60% in bonds, you know, or 50% in bonds just because to meet those long-term obligations. But when the when the yields on the bonds are not, are not generating enough, well, then they, they, what they do is they take risk. So what they were doing was they're overweighted in stocks. Who's they? Uh, the, the, pe- big pe- thing of big pension funds, you know, retirement funds, um, you know, teachers, things like that. Uh-huh. Cal, CalPERS is a big one. That's the biggest one. That's all the California teachers and local, yep. you know, any unionized worker mm-hmm. is part of the CalPERS fund. Right. It's right. huge, massive. And so they were overweighted in equities. And then when COVID hit the beginning, when everything melted down in March last year, you thought, oh, boy, these guys are going to get destroyed. And instead, as we know, the market came roaring back. And these guys have made a a, a killing in the equity market because they were overweighted in equities. So now they're, they were looking to say, okay, you know, we've made a lot of money. Let's get ourselves back on, on sides again and get the right allocations between bonds and equities. So they're in the process of doing that. So they've been buying a lot of bonds and a lot of treasury bonds to make up for, you know, that, that imbalance because now they're in a much better position as far as funding these future obligations. Now, you also have asset managers. Those are big, big money managers. A lot of these guys are global. And they decide in the bond world, they'll decide, should I be invested, you know, more in Japanese government bonds than U.S. Treasury bonds or more in German government bonds? We call them bunds um, as opposed to treasuries. And they make these allocations, these, these large allocations over, you know, over time. So they also rebalance. And what's happened um, lately is treasury yields look attractive versus um, yields on German bonds, yields on European bonds, let's call them, and yields on Japanese bonds. Like they, they'll, they'll only invest in these very, in this, they're called liquid. They only invest in these very, very large, you know, uh, developed economies and, and finance uh, and, and governments. So 
what's happened is the yield between a Japanese bond and a, and a, and a treasury bond, like a 10-year yield, it's about 110 basis points, 1.1% additional yield in a treasury. And because these guys, now you got to remember, for those guys to do that, to go out of Japanese and into dollars, they're not, they're just, they don't want to take currency risk. So they, they hedge that risk out. Hedge adjusted, it still makes sense for them to be buying more treasuries and less Japanese government bonds or less German government bonds. Okay. So you have that going on. That, that's been a, a student body kind of right, meaning everybody's kind of moving over to that side at, at the same time that you've got the pension funds doing it. And finally, and I think this is the biggest factor, you've got U.S. The US banks and credit unions and the financial institutions in the United States. Now, what's happened there is that deposits for the people who actually didn't lose their job and actually did actually did well economically during COVID, they, they came up with a tremendous amount more money that they deposited in the bank. So the banks are swimming in deposits right now. At the same time, and this was talked about when the when the big banks, even the, the medium-sized, the regional banks came out, they all said lower loan demand. There's not enough loan demand out there. One of the reasons was, well, there's not a lot of stuff to buy back in, in COVID. People aren't going on vacations. They're, they're not spending a lot of their disposable income. They're saving it. So think about it. When the savings come in, that means all this cash is flowing into the banks. They got to do something with it, right? So- if the cash is flowing in, but the loan demand isn't there in the, in the short, medium term, what are they going to do? They're going to buy treasuries. They're going to buy safe, safe liquid assets like, like U.S. treasuries, and they're going to buy more of them than they normally would because they have this issue. So we think that a lot of guys, were, a lot of banks were probably, when the 10-year was in the 160s, on a, that's a yield, 1.6%. 1, 1. They were waiting for 170, 175. So they were kind of waiting, keeping their money short, waiting for that, waiting for the market to back up to buy it. Well, all of a sudden, when these other guys came in and started buying treasuries, all of a sudden they said, shit, 170, we better get in there before we lose 150. And that's what, so all of a sudden, everybody starts buying. And that's how you end up down here at 146 right now in the 10 year. So, so Aaron, it, it's kind of like that. We've touched upon it before. Remember the Flintstones episode where <laughs> they were trying to sell the carnival and Fred and Barney were going to buy the carnival. I don't yeah. remember this one. I mean, okay. uh, you'll, you'll figure it out because I'm going to explain what happened. There were like 10 people at the carnival. So they're trying to jam Fred and Barney. Right. So what the guy who ran the carnival did was say to the 10 people, he probably gave them a few bucks and some cotton candy. <laughs> And he said, hey, they're going over to the roller coaster. Everybody run over to the roller coaster. So Fred and Barney saw that every ride they were trying to go on was packed. Like it was packed. This place is flowing with business. So it could be kind of like this in the U.S. Treasury market now because people are jumping in because the other guy is buying and everybody must be doing it. So let's, let's all pile in. Mm -hmm. So that's why... I kind of like jumped in, not because of the Fred and Barney, but <laughs> because I figured exactly what Eric was saying. And then you have this Federal Reserve of America, the United States, who says, keep saying we're not going to raise rates anytime soon. Yeah. Don't worry about it. Yeah. And all this inflation stuff, this is, they keep using that transitory word, right? Transitory. It's all transitory. 
which means it, it, it's just a short term blip. Like inflation will be over in a few months. Don't worry about it. But I, I don't know if if you look you know, around and just being a regular person and you walk around and buy things, everything's up. Like everything is up. And, you know, like down in Florida where I am, they're telling people, you know, this is rich people problems. I understand. But they're telling people who want to buy pools. You know, I want a pool in my backyard. That chlorine's going to cost next year. Right? Not only that, the pool, like you, you, you can't get a pool. Like oh, you want a pool? To Normally, it's like forty-five right. days. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We ain't digging the hole because we can't get the supplies. Right. So we're we're talking eight months. Uh-huh. People are like, "What? My pool's going to take eight months?" You know. And I talked to some of these guys who do um, remodeling, right? These kitchen and tile guys. They're like, "Dude, we like we can't we can't promise these customers. We don't know when we're going to get the supplies." Yeah. I went and bought some lumber the other day because you know I'm balling over here. Uh, is, is it to, is it to is it to trade? Are you are you stockpiling it <laughs> yeah. so you can sell it at a later date? Yeah, exactly, exactly. Bought some lumber. Uh, basically, it was 16 foot boards for a privacy wall on our patio. Privacy wall. Yeah. What are you guys doing over there? That's for me to know and you to not find out. Yeah, right. I can't see if you got a privacy wall. <laughs> Uh, so we're, we're building the thing. Uh, we go to Lowe's, me and my buddy, and we buy the material and he makes a joke uh, to one of the, the, there's two registers and they're like, oh, you could come here. And the other lady's like, oh, I can help you over here. And he goes, no, nah, I'm with him. But if he wants to pay twice, that's fine with me. Like, I don't, I don't care. <laughs> so he made that. And she goes, oh yeah, I know. Well, Hey, maybe he could have paid twice about a year ago and still paid less than what he's yeah. paying right now. I said, oh, man. Yeah. And I asked my buddy later, I was like, she, I know she's, she's making a joke, but do you think that's true? And he goes, yeah, I think so. Yeah. It's absolutely true. Yeah. But, I mean, as far as the treasury yields go, Richie, I understood it all because that was one of my earliest lessons. I learned it before I learned how to crawl. Uh, that was something <laughs> that my, my mother was instilling in me. But I just wanted to make sure that what Eric was saying was clarifying enough for you to decide on your position. I'm going to, I'm going to stay with it. I'm going to stay with it. I think, I think it stays low. Like, I don't, I don't think I get killed right now. I mean, I could be wrong, but I, I think there's something going on here where you just have people piling in and buying a lot of these treasuries and it's going to stay low for a little bit. I mean, maybe, maybe let's see what happens in the fall. You know, like uh, if, if things really keep, staying higher prices keep staying higher then then yeah then you're going to have some issues i mean and and forget about we haven't even talked about the the deficit right like the deficit the reason why we're able to borrow so much money to to do all these things that we're doing um is because rates are so low and that's been a big thing for uh like janet yellen and jerry powell are like you know they're kind of like yeah it's all right just borrow it rates will stay low forever they never stay low forever, but it may be a a while before it turns. So I'm I'm going to stay with my position. I I, I th- thank you, Eric, for explaining that. You know uh, the the reason why we I mean we're getting a little we got a, I got a little technical there, but it's a, what, what, why you do that is because sometimes like you're expecting everything else. 
this inflation data keeps coming out. I, I, I read my, I read my wall street journal. I read or whatever. I, I, I watch the financial news and, and okay. What you just told me that and I'm right. Inflation's mean, not Richie's right. Inflation's going up. You know, look at that. The CPI came out worse than expected. Why are rates going down? And that's important, right? Because remember, we also talk about how important rates are to stocks, right? Especially sure. these growth stocks. So, sure. I, you know, I, I was, I, I, let's say I, I dialed back my positions because I was worried about rates going up. And, and look what happened. I dialed back my positions and rates, inflation came out like it was, expe- like I expected it to do higher. And then the rates went down. So I missed, you know, I missed out. I, I could have, you know, I, I shouldn't have dialed back my exposure. Well, the yeah. reason is because there are these, we call them the, the flow of funds. And, and just you have to at least ask questions like that. Like, just think about, all right, who's, somebody's buying. This can't, it's, it, it's not, it, it's mysterious if you don't know all the different players and what they potentially do. Because you get a few of these big segments of, of buying in here. It's, it's gigantic. It's, it's billions and billions of buying that they're doing. And if they do it over a relatively short period of time, they're going to move the market. And it, it, no one gives two craps about inflation when, when it's happening. And what's interesting, too, is this uh, woman, Ivy Zellman, she's, she was a big uh, – she predicted, like, the housing crash in 2007, as Eric and I did back in 2007. But I don't know what she's done since. But people follow her, and she downgraded, downgraded like all the home builders. She's an analyst on Wall Street. She she downgraded all the big home builders, and everybody's like, "What? What? Why? Like things are out of control. Prices keep going up on housing. Like you can't get a house. Like anybody who sells a house gets twenty five bids in two two days, but." It's interesting. So she must she must think this is this inflation story is real. Like she must think like at some point rates are going up and that's going to hurt mortgage rates. Right. That's going to make the mortgage rates higher. Therefore, people will buy less homes and it will hurt these these uh, home builder stocks. So I'm going to look at that a little more. You know, as we talk about the charts, some of these charts are a little weak on uh, these home builders. So I, I'm not surprised that it, they, they've gone down in the last couple of days. Weak in what respect? Like, um, so the housing number was like the average price is now like $346,000 for a house. Right. Like, so the these home builder stocks have, especially since last March, have flown like sky high, right? Like you would have never thought as, as is the case with a lot of these stocks that anything during a pandemic, especially housing would, would go so high. So maybe she, I didn't read the full report, but maybe she just thinks like these stocks have run a lot and it's time for a breather. Gotcha. So the, and the charts kind of prove that. So they kind of like are turning down and kind of flashing sell signals without even her saying anything. So it just added a little fuel to the fire yesterday, I guess. Hmm. Gotcha. Okay. Well, we're going to keep it a little tight this week. So Richie, let's jump into Richie's picks. What do we got this right. week? What are we looking at? All right. Something out a little bit out of the norm, you know, like, like we always talk about diversification, you know, everybody wants to talk about sectors and stuff like that. Um, 
the Madison Square Garden Network. M as in Mary, S as in Sam, G as in George, N as in Nancy. Okay. That is owned by uh, Mr. Jim Dolan. Boom. Who is often referred to in the New York Post as Fredo Dolan. Boo. <laughs> um, he, a little while ago, a couple months ago, decided he he's thinking, he's thinking about taking MSGN private. So he owns MSG. So that's the Knicks and the Rangers and everything that goes on with that. And he owns the Madison Square Garden Network. So it's a weird time to try to maybe buy that because the Knicks and the Rangers seasons have ended right? and they primarily get most of their viewers watching Knicks and Rangers games. And now we're done right. with that, but they do have other programming that, that works and, and they make a lot of money. That network makes a lot of money. So when he came out, Fredo, when he came out and said, I'm taking this company private. He tried to like grab it on the cheap, right? And everybody was like, talk about boo. People were like, boo, that's a shit bit. Like, like, like that, that's not what this company's worth, but it's kind of like dropped again. So I, I don't know if he's like having second thoughts or what. So it, it's in and around 15 bucks, the, the stock. So I'm, I'm going to buy MSGN. That's one. Um, another one I like. Well, hold on there. Why would you buy it now when right. it's it's going exactly. going to go private? The well, I, th- I think he's going to if he ever does, because um, shareholders when when you take a, a a company private, right? People have to approve it, right? The shareholders have to approve it. He's a majority shareholder, obviously, but people can protest, right? They can or or what happens what happens then, which is always interesting, is some other. Entity comes in and goes, oh, yeah, you're going to take that thing private at 18 bucks. OK, buddy, how about 20? And then people are like, yay. Right. Like, like, Fredo, you, you, you're trying to undercut us. Somebody else is coming along and they see value in this thing and they're going to buy. it. So I want to be involved in that kind of thing. I think he really wants to. I don't know if he wants to dump the Knicks and the Rangers like the Knicks had a pretty good season this year. Right. Please. Um, He'd make a lot of fans happy. He's like, since he's been in charge, it was the year before, right? It was, I think it was the year before he took over in 95, I think. So that's the year after the Rangers won the cup. And the Rangers won the, won the cup and the Knicks almost won the, the oh, NBA yeah. title. They lost in game seven. Yep. yep. Right. So this thing has been like, I saw the stats, like the Knicks hadn't been in the playoffs since 2013. Like, like, dude. And and then when they lost, the stat is they've lost since they've been in the playoffs pre-2013. They've lost five of six first-round matchups. So they're like, you know, so people definitely want him to sell. I don't think he's selling that. But may- maybe, maybe. But the, the network, the TV is is pretty interesting. It's an interesting line. And, and I think with all the streaming and stuff, they're going to figure out a way to, like, Make an MSGN Plus or whatever the hell they probably still already they probably already have one. But there's some pretty valuable properties under that network. But essentially, your reasoning is you could see a potential bidding war happening. I think so. I think, I think people want content, right? Like that's a big thing in these days. Like they want 
They want to control the content, right? So that's why you have like Apple saying they're going to do Apple TV. Amazon is spending money on programming. Netflix obviously has done it for years. You know, that, that it's a, it's a big deal. And, and, you know, for the foreseeable future, I think like you cannot beat, you cannot beat live sports, mm-hmm. right? Like that, 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 that's like, that's why Amazon paid up for the NFL. You know, they're paying like a, a gazillion dollars for yep. just the Thursday night stream or whatever, mm-hmm. you know? And it's like, cause you can't, you can't DV are that I mean you can, but everybody's going to know who won the game. It's not so the same. You, you want to watch that live? You got to turn your phone off, you know. Right. Yeah. So I'm going to try that one. The other one is uh, we talk about these uh, chip shortages, computer chip shortages. Yep. And that's causing a lot of problems um, worldwide. But I I like Qualcomm. Q C O M. That's an old kind of an old school tech company but they make they also make a ton of money they produce a lot of chips and that one's kind of like gotten beat up so everything's been going higher tech stocks everything not qualcomm it's kind of like gone down hmm. it's around 130 ish um i'm gonna i'm gonna take a flyer on that I, and i had some good success with that one in the past they said i didn't realize how great it was going to be like but like oh that stock was at like 50 bucks and then they settled they had a big long fight with Microsoft and uh, they settled it and the stock went literally overnight from like 50 to 70. And that's a big company. Nice. So like for that to move like that. And now it's kind of like it got up to, I think like 170 or 160, but it's kind of like faltered down. And I'm, I want to take a flyer on it again. They make money. They make money. That's a common theme here on the monkey business. We like <laughs> companies to make money. Sure. And what was the ticker again? Q as in Queen, C as in Charlie, O as in Oscar, M as in Mary. Q-C-O-M. Got it. That's it. All right. Eric, anything that you wanted to add to the picks? I wasn't going to add to the picks, but I see something very funny just happened here. Okay. Kind of fun. Hit us with so it. So you, you remember AMC, the meme stock, the, the, mm-hmm. the, the theater chain was all the, was all the rage last week. And it went from, like, gosh, it was up almost 500% for the, uh, for the week, I think. Yeah. Now it's, it's fallen back quite a bit. Well, part of the story was uh, and how the stock was doing so well, even when AMC came out um, a few months ago and weeks ago and, and sold. Remember, they, they sold shares. They sold a boatload of shares to a to a, a hedge fund. Mm. Um, and they na- it's a uh, hold on. Let's get the guy's name here. His last name is Mudrick. Mudrick Capital. My God, I can't see his first name. But anyway, he bought. <laughs> A ton of AMC new shares they issued uh, directly to him. He bought. He then turned around. He bought them at twenty-seven. Turned around and dumped them into the market. Made himself a nice, a nice, a nice score. And he he after he bought the he bought them. Said these the stock is overvalued. And he now normally if a guy just bought stock and then took a millions of shares and dumped them on the market and said the market the, the stock's overvalued, you'd think the stock would go like straight down. But instead, the stock went straight up, which is just. Yeah, that that you just don't usually see things like that. Well, I just saw this guy lost. He don't he, he put his money where his mouth is um, when he said the stock was overpriced. He sold call options. So oh, geez. Not only did he sell the stock, he then sold options at a strike price. It looks like about forty, which didn't work out well for him when the stock went over to, <laughs> to sixty-five. And now, and now he's got no more stock. 
he's lost <laughs> he's lost millions and he's down 10% for the month so yikes you know, and, and, and the thing is too like like he had to go into that company AMC and say like come on come on just give me the stock give me the stock come on come on come on and it, he paid 4% higher than the closing price the day before they're like all right fine you want the stock you got to pay us a premium fine done i'll take them and then he dumped them like two days later and mm-hmm. made a nice little profit. And he was like, yeah, here we go. This is how we do it. I got this, this thing on a string, like a yo-yo. Ooh, watch me play this. But then he got greedy. Now he's, now he's stuck. You know, yeah. A little greedy. Jason Mudrick, that's the uh, that that's the, the, the gentleman's name. Well, it was good to have the whole band back together here, boys. Yeah. And we'll talk to everybody next time on the Monkey Business Show.